Um, uh, we're uh, just beginning uh, for the fall, just a little bit of a, a series uh, looking at the cross. Now, normally when you want to start uh, fall, uh, come back and fall launch, you want to do something that is uh, uh, super easy and light and fluffy and just is going to make everybody just feel awesome. And the cross ultimately does that, but, uh, but it, it just came uh, to me with, partly through some stuff that happened in the summer, just the sense that uh, we as a church and that the Christian community in general needs to just recenter around this core piece of what we believe and to just reorient ourselves, re-anchor ourselves. Some of the important, uh, do- even doctrinal pieces around the cross, around what it accomplished, are kind of under attack in our culture. Uh, people look at the cross and say, that bit about sacrifice, I don't understand that, that just doesn't seem to fit with, with what I think. I, I don't like that. Let's just sort of discard that and let's just think of Jesus as a great teacher. And there's sort of a trend towards uh, some of that that goes on. And of course, Jesus was a great teacher, an amazing philosopher, the brightest mind on the planet. But he accomplished something in real time on the cross in reality. And we want to talk about that and begin to unpack it. Uh, the cross, just stepping back and looking at it uh, from a marketing strategy perspective, if you were going to design your religion and create a logo, you probably would be sitting there with a group of people in your uh, office uh, doing kind of a marketing team meeting and thinking, we've got a great new idea, we've got a great new leader, amazing things are happening. Let's think of a symbol that we can use uh, to convey to everybody uh, the incredible loving community that he's that, that God's making us to be. Let's just use a Roman torture device to do that. Uh, you know, the, the cross isn't like a brilliant, intuitive marketing piece, but it became the central symbol of Christianity for a reason. Uh, it means something uh, incredibly important to us. And not only uh, like does it have a meaning and, and a symbol that is like universally visible, when you, when you look at that church, when you look at a church, uh, all around the world, and you see crosses on the back wall, crosses on the steeple, you know what they are, you know what it means. But if you think a little bit deeper about it, you're, you're realizing that it actually means something like this. And you think, this is a gruesome and horrible image. Why would this be a central uh, idea for us? But, but in that image and in uh, the, the difficulty of wrestling with that event in history, we see that some amazing and powerful things uh, happened through that. Uh, one theologian, actually it's, an, it's an illustration used by, by many theologians, really. Um, look at the cross as a, as a diamond, as a jewel, as one event that happened, one thing that happened uh, that had multifacets. Uh, different ways of viewing it, different ways of seeing it uh, that, are, that, that impact our lives in unique and special ways, but uh, it's all the same event. And so what we want to do is just examine over the next few weeks some of the facets of the cross. Uh, we're going to examine, like, and these are big theological words. If you're not a Christian, they're going to sound like swear words. Like, why is that pastor swearing up there? I don't understand what's going on, right? Uh, substitutionary atonement, imputed righteousness, uh, Christus Victor, revelation, propitiation. We talked about those two last week. Redemption, redemption expiation, ransom, justification, reconciliation, Christus exemplar. And if we look at that, all of those words, they seem like great big sort of theological 
doctrinal concepts and you're like, why is that relevant? Is that relevant to this church because, you know, you need to have them all checked off on your list to make sure that you're uh, actually a believer? Do you have to have that checklist completed? Uh, Do you have to know all of these things and understand them all? Is this about some sort of uh, intellectual pride or or any of that? And what we want to say is that it's not about that. They're they're important words, but they're they're words that actually work. Uh, Maybe a better way to look at it than a jewel which sits, you know, up on a stand for somebody to look at. Uh, they're tools that the cross accomplished things that accomplish real work. Now, this guy looks like a poser. There's not a scratch on his tool bag at all. Uh, I know, like, when I was doing carpentry, when I showed up with a brand new, like, tool belt, like, my buddy Brian was, like, <clears throat> like, like laughing at me. And he, I'm, actually, he loaded up my pouch with PL Premium. Uh, just to, yeah, yeah. Anybody who works construction knows how fun that is. Um, like, just, like, give, it, give this thing a beating, like, scratch it up. Uh, and that's the same with our, with our doctrine, same with our theology. These are big theological words, but we don't want them to be too uh, shiny and sit, sitting on a shelf. We want to use them, uh, not necessarily using the words in, in conversation. How do you work propitiation into your average sentence with your friend at work? But talking about the concept, what these things really mean to us. And so we're going to dig into them. These, these, these uh, theological pieces actually uh, answer uh, difficult questions that we have as humans. And so let's just, uh, just breeze through them really quickly. Because uh, these are things that people feel deeply, right? Like, I can't pay for my mistakes. I can't, I can't pay for this. I can't make up for this thing I've done. What do I do with this sense of guilt? I can't seem to do enough. No matter how much I do, I, I don't feel like I've accomplished enough in my life. Uh, I experience spiritual darkness. I feel like there's, there's demons in my closet. It seems dark. I'm having nightmares all the time. How do I wrestle with that? I don't know what God is like. He must be angry at me. I feel worthless. Others have wounded me. I, I, feel, I feel dirty. I feel unclean. I feel, I feel hurt. I can't stop doing things that hurt me. I can't stop habits. I can't stop addictions. Uh, I have no right to be with God. Like, what right do I have to be in the presence of God, to be a friend with him? I feel distant from God. He's, he seems separate from me and far away. I wish he felt near. I don't know how to live my life. I don't know what to do. These are the real human questions that uh, the facets of the cross uh, answer. And so what we're going to start with today, and I'm just going to kick this monitor sideways so I'm getting a little feedback. Um, What uh, the uh, uh, cross uh, does for us is is it actually answers some of these deep questions that we have as people. When Jesus died on the cross for us, uh, he accomplished something real. He accomplished something really important. We're just going to talk about one today because this is a big one, and this is the one that really is under attack more than, than almost anything uh, in our culture today, even, even among uh, some Christian circles. This idea of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. And what that simply means is that uh, he paid for us by replacing us. The, the, the place of punishment that we maybe deserved or that humans deserved. And if you have any questions about do humans uh, deserve any sort of punishment at all, think of Rwanda. Uh, think of the Second World War. 
Think of uh, 9-11. Think of the greed that we move in as a society. Think of uh, the, the sexual assault statistics in Canada. Uh, think, of, think of those sorts of things to understand that there's something in the actions of humanity that needs to be atoned for. And, uh, and in unpacking what this actually means uh, in the scriptures, there's just a few verses that are really important. And all these are part of larger passages, and we could uh, do this in a different way and just unpack one of those large passages. But there's uh, just a way of glancing at some of these ideas in the scripture. It's a little bit different than we would normally sort of preach expositorily through one passage. We're just going to hit these highlights. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When, when John uh, the Baptist saw Jesus, something of the Holy Spirit rising up in him, saw Jesus, and this was his response like shooting out of him. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That from the perspective of a Jewish man who understood that lambs were something that were sacrificed in the temple uh, for the sins of the nation. And he sees that person, Jesus, and sees him as that lamb. Jesus is the lamb. Uh, God made him, this is 2 Corinthians, a little bit further down in the history of the church. This is Paul talking. He says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us. So that we could become the righteousness of Christ. So that we could become the righteousness of God. So God made him who didn't know any sin, Jesus who was perfect, made him become sin for us. He was substituted for us. Uh, looking again now at 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous suffered for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.8 There's this, uh, this constant theme in scripture. And there's numerous places where we find it. Where Jesus is substituted for us. Uh, the concept of substitution lies at the heart of both sin and salvation. This is John's thought. A quote from him. When we are substituting ourselves for God. When we sin. When we sin we substitute ourselves for God. We're saying I'm God. I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, but he saves us by substituting himself back for our sins. He reverses it. He substitutes. He does an amazing thing. First John chapter 2, 2. Again, we're going to unpack this more in a few moments. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours alone but also for the sins of the world. The sacrifice of Jesus was not just uh, something for uh, me, but it was something for everybody. It was something really, really big. Um, and so just if you're here and you're investigating Christianity and you're wondering what the cross thing is about, that's a part of what it's about. It's about Jesus substituting himself for us and taking on himself uh, stuff that we we deserved. But what that raises for us is a couple of really important uh, apologetic questions. The first one is this. Um, why does there need to be a sacrifice? Why does there need to be blood? Like what kind of God needs to see a sacrifice for the sins of humans? Like that doesn't sound like kind of petty to you? 
This is an argument that you hear, like when you're in university, or an argument that you hear even in high school, or you'd hear talking to your friends in a coffee shop about Christianity. Like, what is it with this God who needs a sacrifice? Like, like who does he think he is, almost, is the tone. What, what is that all about? Well, if you've done any counseling, if you've done any, uh, any time with people who have been wrestling through uh, different things, if you've ever sat down with uh, a daughter who finds out that her father has been uh, cheating on her mother, you understand that something has been taken from that daughter that is much, much more costly than you can even imagine. If you ever sit down and you, you're, you're hanging out with a, with a husband or a wife whose, uh, whose spouse has cheated on them, you know that there's something in the heart of that person that wants blood for that. There's an anger there because life has been stolen from that person. Uh, if you're, uh, I mean, I've been in places where, where I've heard people talk about, uh, I mentioned this last week, uh, someone's brother in this congregation was, was stabbed to death and murdered. That person, that anger that rises up in that person that they've been processing for, for all these years, that's an anger that, that demands blood. That there's a sacrifice that needs to happen. And when we look at a God who created the world, who looks out at humanity and sees uh, Darfur and sees Rwanda and sees the Holocaust and sees in much more smaller and much more subtle ways the ways that humans steal life from one another. Any God who is honest about the humans that he's created must have within himself a sense of justice that says that something that those ones take from one another must somehow be repaid. That we constantly owe one another a spiritual debts. And it's in those big things, in murder, in rape, in, in all of that, but it's also in little white lies. And it's also in uh, ignoring our children and being on our phones when they really need our attention. In that moment, we steal life from them. It's from so many different little things, little different ways that we steal life from one another. And it's those things which if you look through the scriptures, uh, look at the Old Testament law, look at uh, the law of Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's our failure to meet those expectations that always results in the loss of life in another human being. And a loss and a drawing and a taking of life from God. That there's a debt that we owe. And it's because of the nature of God as a fair God, as a God who sees all, as a God who knows all, that he wants to see balance in his creation and wants to see righteousness happen. And you might not like the idea of owing something someone spiritually from some sin that you've committed. But you very much are okay with the idea of someone owing you when they've taken something from you. And if you want to accept uh, the latter, you must also accept the former. 
So how do we deal with this sense of life having been stolen, this sense of indebtedness uh, to one another? And it's done with through uh, ancient people looked and said, we have to do this through the sacrifice of blood. The reason you would sacrifice a sheep was to uh, say to your community that you were willing for this to cost you something, this evil that you had done. And so it would cost you part of your herd. It would cost you part of your livelihood. And you would, you would spill the blood of this animal to prove to your community that you were willing to pay a cost for that thing you, ought, you had done. But from God's perspective, it's simply about uh, the economy of spiritual life in his kingdom. So there has to be, if God is a just God, God there has to be uh, a sacrifice for our sins. Our sins just simply have to be paid for. Uh, the second question that you wrestle with from an apologetics isn't this just a great way by the way to just, uh, you know, this is just such a chipper awesome sermon. It's a brilliant way to, uh, like I said last week, like if we want to plant a mega church this is the way to do it. Let me tell you that. Uh, right? Like, but this is the real deal of Christianity and we're going to talk in a moment about how this really changes lives. Uh, the second question that you have to deal with from an apologetics perspective is what kind of father would sacrifice his son? What kind of God would allow the injustice that I did to, to land on his son? Look, think, look at my son Toby. Who would I be if somebody uh, had stolen some money from my wallet in the, in, that I'd left on the car seat in the parking lot? And somebody came and took 200 bucks out of my wallet or something like that. I wish I had 200 bucks in my wallet. 20 is more accurate. Uh, it stole that money out of my wallet and, and just taken off. And I said, oh, I'm so peoed about that. Toby, I'm going to just take your money. How would Toby feel about that? <laughs> like, what kind of a, a dad does that? How does that make sense? Well, the only way that makes sense is if you understand Jesus to be not just the Son of God, but actually God himself. Jesus didn't do this to some uh, poor, helpless little child. God didn't do this to some helpless little child. He did this to himself. Jesus is God. As he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The reason Jesus came was so that you could see what God walks and talks like. And so what Jesus suffered on the cross was the Father suffering. So he didn't just put it on his helpless little sweet, nice son uh, what Jesus bore on the cross was the creator of the universe bearing it upon himself. And that's how you understand. He's the God, as we said last week, he's the God who could give himself a spanking. That's the real deal. Son, you're guilty you did this thing. Now I'm whipping down my pants and getting the spoon. None of you have done that at all or experienced that as a child, I know. That's good. So, but this is all sort of theological stuff. This is all out there. This is like philosophical understanding sacrifice and why it needs to happen. But, but what does this really mean for you? I mean, remember the picture of the guy with the tool belt. What is the tool here? What is the reality here? What does that, how does that, how does this story change my life? How is this actually relevant to me? How is this actually relevant to my friends? I just want to tell you a story uh, for just a minute. I actually attended this high school. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was from grade 9 to uh, back then OAC, which used to be grade 13, you lucky dogs, you who are in high school and only have to go to grade 12. Um, 
But I attended this school, and, and this story actually happened just down that hall. This part of the building wasn't built yet, but those lockers that are across from where we have our Sunday school rooms are across from what used to be the cafeteria. And I was standing at my locker uh, right across from that cafeteria. And there was a girl who was uh, in some of my classes. I won't say her name. as She may still be around the town. I, I doubt she listens to our podcast for sure. Uh, but uh, she, uh, she's, a, she's a girl who was in my class. And she was like an outspoken atheist. Uh, she's a girl who was like really committed to uh, putting forth the opinion that God didn't even exist. And so I'm having a conversation with her uh, just outside my locker. I'm, I was often involved in these sort of theological conversations and, and debates. And this, uh, this, this girl came up to me. Uh, she's talking about how God doesn't exist and how can I even be a Christian. She was kind of aggressive about all of that stuff. And, uh, and what, I, what I sort of said to her is, uh, well, how do, you, how do you understand this? How does this work? What does your life mean if there's not a God in the midst of it? And she said, she said this phrase, she said, you know what, I just have to live somehow and I'm going to hope that I've done more good in life than I've done bad in life. That my effect on the world will ultimately be positive. And the question I had to sort of ask her, because uh, what this gets to is at the heart of each of us, there's kind of a, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, even, even her who is like a radically committed atheist, there's a deep sense in her that there has to be uh, some way of, of balancing some outside perspective on her deeds. So I asked her, why? Like, why, why does that matter to you? Like, like, if there's no God, who cares? Why do you have to leave a positive impact on the world? Who's judging you? Who's making, who's, who's making this determination? If there's no God, it's dog eat dog and you can just do whatever you want. Why bother? And she sort of passed off uh, an answer and, uh, and didn't, really, it didn't really answer me. But I felt like the Lord led me in that conversation just to go a little bit deeper with her because I, I knew something else about this girl. You see this picture on the screen of the, of the lace black wristband. And I, I just want to be clear, this isn't the true of everybody who wears something like this as a fashion statement. But what I knew about this girl was that she, she cuts herself. She cut herself. She, she was doing self-harm. She was... Just, just scratching and cutting and, and, and tearing at her wrists. And I said, and, and, and I, so I just, you know, maybe being foolish or maybe the Lord leading me, just broached that subject with her. And I said, why, why, do you, why do you always hurt yourself? Why do you do that to yourself? And she said, well, I F up all the time. She, as even a person who's a, a committed atheist, had a deep sense in her heart that she'd made mistakes that had hurt her and made mistakes that had hurt other people. And even while calling herself an atheist, wired deeply within her being was an understanding that somehow those things that she'd done had to be paid for. And she was trying to pay for them within herself. What the cross of Jesus Christ does for you is it says to you that you do not have to pay for your own sin. Jesus substituted himself for you. He paid it for you. That deep sense that we all have that we've failed, that we've made mistakes, that we've hurt others, that we owe a debt. 
that was paid for by Jesus on the cross. That's why we do what we do here Sunday mornings. That's why we ask you to invite your friends. Because the people who aren't here with us this morning, who are sitting at home watching TV, who are at Playland across town line, who are going and playing hockey or doing whatever it is they're doing uh, this morning, that they're not here, they're not interested in church, they're not connected with God, they don't have any place for him in their lives. They need to know because they do know deep within themselves that they have something that ought to be paid for. And people constantly, constantly are hurting themselves and wounding themselves. In an extreme case, this girl cutting her wrists, but in, in other ways, trying to pay for our stuff. Jesus paid for our stuff. He paid for our stuff. We can't punish ourselves out of guilt. We can stop that. That's a gift that he has offered us. We even as Christians, you may have been a Christian for a long time and still be under the weight of guilt. You haven't uh, understand or understood the depth and the power of the gospel. You can't uh, be on the cross. Only Jesus can be there. Only he can take it. You can't martyr yourself, you can't punish yourself, you can't make enough sacrifice, you can't do enough stuff. He does all the stuff for you. The just God pays for you. The other thing this means for us is that um, when others have taken blood from us, when others have taken life from us, when others have hurt us, you need to know that that person with whom you're angry, that person who has hurt you, that person who has wounded you, uh, at whatever level that hurt has occurred in your life, from the deepest of hurt that you experienced in your childhood through a slight around the water cooler at work, whatever that person has taken from you as in terms of life, Jesus loves that person so much that he will willingly and lovingly take their place for their crime. That his life will be substituted for them. And that means, that means we have to forgive. We have to forgive. We can't carry that stuff because Jesus is calling out to that person and saying, come to me. I died for you. I died for you. And if he's saying that, who are we to stand between he and them and say, no, that transaction cannot take place? When we don't forgive, that's what we're saying. I don't want that transaction between Jesus and you to take place. I want the blood payment for what that person did to me. And we cannot stand between Jesus and another human being. Because he loves them that much. We must forgive. As hard as it is. And that is not an easy thing. Some of us have experienced wounds at the hands of friends that go incredibly deep. But Jesus died to pay for that person's sin. He took their place. We can forgive. And we can experience the freedom that comes with that. 
Like the weight that lifts off when we forgive is incredible. We can move free. We can move again in joy. We can move again in life. The place, the judgment seat that we tend to want to sit in is not a comfortable seat for us. We weren't meant to sit there. We can feel what this guy feels. We can feel incredible satisfaction. I love this goofy guy. When you search for images, I I like that guy. I want to meet that guy. Not only can we trust and enjoy the freedom of forgiveness, but we can actually trust that the life that was stolen from us in the justice of God will ultimately be returned to us either here or in eternity, right? That Jesus who paid for that person's sin, Jesus who paid for that stuff that was taken from us, will return that life to us in eternal life in heaven if we're willing to receive it. He gives that life to us. So what did Jesus do for you? He substituted himself. You just think of the high priest just to understand what that moment of sacrifice was like. What was that like uh, in the old days before Jesus uh, in, the, in the temple? Uh, they were trying to do sacrifice. And what would happen is the high priest on the night of atonement, knowing that he was having to make sacrifice for the sins of his people, is he would stay up all night to pray. He would pray to try to gain a sense of holiness, a sense of cleanness before God. He would wash in a ceremonial way. He would wash. He would be wiped down with fragrant spices. He would put on white linens. He would publicly enter the temple. People would be cheering, would be watching him. They would be observing him with all the hopes of the nation for all of their redemption resting on this person going into the Holy of Holies. And he would go there and he would sprinkle blood on the, on the altar. He would sprinkle blood and, and make sacrifice for the sins of his people. Jesus did this, but in reverse. This is what the substitutionary atonement looked like from Jesus' perspective. He stayed up all night to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was washed as people spat on him. He was whipped and beaten. Those were the herbs and spices that were laid on his back. He was stripped naked instead of clothed in white, and his clothes were were gambled for. He carried his cross publicly. People jeered at him and mocked him, crying, crucify him. And he was the sacrifice. It is finished. The guilt is finished. The debt is paid. Any need that you have to crucify yourself has to be laid down. Because Jesus did it all for you. Because he loves you. And this is the story we're inviting our friends into. This is why we need to have people coming into this space to hear the story of the amazing gift of what Jesus did. We have to hear it for ourselves and we have to tell it. Let's stand For all of us here who, uh, even who have known you for a long time, God, but have still somehow retained 
uh, the need to sit even in the seat of judgment on ourselves, to somehow pay for our own stuff. We're just so sorry, Lord, that we haven't seen your cross as enough. We just confess it's enough for us. It's enough for us. Uh, we, we commit to stopping as, as best we can with your empowerment uh, all the ways in which we've tried to pay, all the ways in which we've hurt ourselves, all the ways in which we've wounded ourselves out of guilt and shame. And we just, we just ask that you would help us to receive your love in a tangible way so that we could know in our very deepest parts of our heart that you love us, that you paid for us. For anyone who's here this morning who hasn't uh, yet accepted this incredible gift of your sacrifice, would they just hear your invitation to receive it? To receive your love? Would you show them that you love them? And help them to walk uh, in knowing you. Let hearts be open this morning. For those of us who are sitting in the seat of judgment over others, who are, who are carrying uh, anger and, and rage in our hearts against what others have done uh, for us, would you help us to see that you died for that person too? And give us a gift of forgiveness. And set us free from the, the, that horrible sense of sitting in the seat of judgment where we just don't belong to be. Let there be just the miracle of free gifts of forgiveness given here this morning. That you would set us free and heal our hearts, Lord Jesus. Heal our hearts, Lord Jesus. Let your cross do its work among us. And give us the passion to invite others to share in this journey. In your holy name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you.